Now, we've, we just finished up our Wonder Woman series where we studied some of the amazing ladies in the Word of God and how we can learn so much from them and apply that to our lives. And now we transition to studying some of the teen titans in Scripture, some of the young people who the Lord used to do amazing things. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to look at some of these teen titans, all young men who the Lord has great examples for us in. And today we begin this little mini-series by studying Josiah, King Josiah. He was the very last godly king of Judah. And a young man who I think has some pretty important lessons to teach us. And his story appears in both 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. And uh, we're going to primarily stay in 2 Chronicles. So you can open in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 34, which is page 385 in your pew Bibles. And as you turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 34, I'm going to pray. Father God, we come before you tonight. And we praise you and thank you for your son Jesus and for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we can come before you in Jesus' name, in the power of the Spirit, trusting that we are being led into your truth. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me, that I would be completely yielded to you. I pray that our hearts would also be yielded to your Spirit speaking to us, that we would all go from here worshiping you, encouraged, perhaps convicted, and seeking to draw closer to you than ever before. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to look at this sermon. It's really straightforward. We're going to look at it in two parts. We got the life of Josiah and then some lessons from Josiah. So, Real easy, life and lessons. And because it's kind of narrative here, I'm not going to go off into any other stories and things like that, illustrations. We're just going to stick to the text and tell the story of Josiah and then look at his lessons that we can learn. But before we dive into Josiah's life, we need to address the two different timelines of events found in Scripture. Uh, see, Kings and Chronicles, the two places where you can read about Josiah, have, have two slightly different accounts of the way that Josiah's reign unfolded. And the two timelines aren't contradictory, it's just that the Chronicles timeline goes into uh, more detail about things earlier in his reign. And so the Chronicles timeline actually fits into the King's timeline. And so we're going to stick primarily with the Chronicles timeline so that we can see what was going on in the young life of this teen titan. We good? We good with that? You all? Okay, good. Just making sure, you know. So Josiah takes the throne of Judah, which is the southern kingdom. We have Israel, the northern kingdom, Judah, the southern kingdom. He takes the throne at the age of eight years old. He's just a small boy. And his father, Ammon, had just been assassinated. And you can imagine that that was a pretty traumatic experience because the people who assassinated him were people from his own court. They were 
members of his own household, uh, household servants who rose up and assassinated him. So Josiah is taking the throne in the midst of all of this political upheaval. And the Assyrian Empire, which is the giant superpower of the time, well, it's not quite so super anymore. It's on the decline as its influence is beginning to crumble. And the people of Judah, which are the people that he rules, they have been under the reign over 50 years of two very evil kings. One of them was his dad, and one of them was his grandfather, Manasseh, who was a very, very evil king who led his people deeply into idolatry and witchcraft. And the faithfulness of Josiah's great-grandfather, Hezekiah, who was a good king, is all but a distant memory. So you have all these years, all these decades of this evil influence on his people. And for the first eight years of Josiah's reign, we have absolutely no record of anything. Scripture gives us no indication of what happened during the first eight years. But then, in verse 3 of 2 Chronicles 34, we begin to get some insight into this young king. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. Now, for some reason... At the age of 16 years old, so he was 8 when he began to reign, and the 8th year of his reign, 16 years old, Scripture says that Josiah began to seek the Lord. And we don't have any idea why. Maybe, maybe he heard some stories of his great-grandfather Hezekiah seeking God and praying in the face of the Assyrian siege. Maybe one of his godly advisors, maybe the high priest Hilkiah, who seems to be have been a godly man. Maybe he was teaching him and talking to him about who the Lord is. We, we don't know. But for some reason, Josiah begins to seek the Lord at the age of 16. And then verse 3 continues, and it says, And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, and the carved and metal images. So after seeking the Lord for four years, so he starts at 16, seeks the Lord for four years, at the age of 20, we see Josiah begin to actually take action against this pervasive idolatry all around him in his kingdom. Scripture makes very clear here that the immediate result of his seeking the Lord is to destroy all of the high places and idols he could find. Uh, you might wonder, what, what are high places? Well, high places are places of idol worship that were usually up on hills or mountains, which is why they're called high places. They are physical locations, like a church building would be today, and the Lord commanded the kings to go and destroy them because that's where all of the idolatry, all of the witchcraft, all of the necromancy, all of these evil things that the people were doing, they would go to these high places and do them. And they would speak with the priests and the false prophets there, and they would do all of these things in these high places. And so Josiah goes and he begins to destroy them. 
And the passage continues on in verses 4 and 5. And it gives us some detail of exactly what he did. And they chopped down the altars of the Baals in his presence, in Josiah's presence. And he cut down the incense altars that stood above them. And he broke in pieces the ashram and the carved and the metal images. And he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. Josiah was not joking around. He went after it at the age of 20, which uh, in the ancient biblical times, 20 years of age was basically like our age 18. It was, it was the age of majority when someone was able to uh, pay taxes and be drafted into the military and essentially operate as an adult. So at age 20, Josiah would have begun to actually rule his kingdom for himself. There wouldn't have been a proxy who was ruling uh, and he was just kind of the figurehead. So this is, this is part of the reason why this all happened at the age of 20. And it's a big deal that he immediately sought to tear down the high places because there was only one other king before him who actually did that. And that was his great-grandfather, Hezekiah. But then his grandfather, Manasseh, rebuilt all of them. So there were high places everywhere. Now, very interestingly, at least interesting to me, Jeremiah, who was a prophet, prophet Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 2, tells us that Jeremiah began to hear from the Lord in the 13th year of Josiah's reign. That would have been one year after Josiah began to tear down all of these high places and to address all of the idolatry. By the way, uh, Josiah was... Uh, a contemporary, obviously, of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was likely the son of Hilkiah, the high priest. So there was connection. The, the king would have spoken with Hilkiah, the high priest. Josiah and Hilkiah would have been close, and Jeremiah was Hilkiah's son. So they would have all been in contact with each other. And so Jeremiah would almost certainly have had some influence on this young king. And according to Zephaniah 1.1, Zephaniah also prophesied during the reign of Josiah and preached a message of repentance to the people to turn from their idol worship. Uh, the prophets Nahum and Habakkuk also likely prophesied during Josiah's reign. The point that I want us to see here, and there's no coincidence with this, is that all of these great prophets began to hear from the Lord and called the people to repent after Josiah began to cleanse the land of its idol worship. It's a very important timeline to that. In fact, over the next several years, Josiah didn't just stop with Judah alone, the, the southern kingdom. If we read verses 6 and 7, it says, And in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, and as far as Nephtali, in their ruins all around, he broke down the altars and beat the ashram and the images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel, then returned to Jerusalem. 
See, after cleansing Judah of all of these abominable high places, he then traveled to the northern kingdom, Israel, and cleansed the land there as well. And the reason why he could do this is because, remember, the Assyrians basically had lost control over the region. So he was able to go and do what he wanted, even though technically the northern kingdom of Israel was part of the Assyrian Empire. And you can read through 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 4 through 20 for a more detailed account of all of the high places that Josiah destroyed. But basically, he went in and took out all of the idols, all of the things that previous evil kings had set up, he went in and destroyed. He took no prisoners. And in fact, he not only eliminated the high places, he also eliminated all of the, the false priests and prophets, all the mediums who practiced necromancy and divination and witchcraft. He, he ruthlessly removed all temptation to worship anything but Yahweh. And after several years of cleansing the land, in the 18th year of his reign, when he was 26 years old, Josiah seeks to rebuild and repair the temple of the Lord Most High in Jerusalem. And while these repairs are going on, Hilkiah, the high priest, remember the father of Jeremiah, he finds the book of the law, which is most likely Deuteronomy that we have in our Bibles today, but certainly some portion of the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the Bible. And they find it. Now, you might be wondering, how could they lose it in the first place? Well, remember, you had 50-plus years of evil kings who promoted idol worship, promoted worshiping all of these other gods, so you can understand how the law, the Word of God, would have either been set aside and forgotten or maybe even hidden and protected by some of the priests who were seeking to allow it to continue when it was safe to bring it back. Well, anyway, Hilkiah finds it. And he immediately brings it to the king. And as soon as Josiah hears that the word of God has been found, he sets to reading it and have it, having it read to him. And when Josiah hears the words of the book of the law, he tears his clothes in repentance. He's overcome with his own sin and with the sins of his people, and he's filled with godly sorrow. And he immediately begins to search for direction from the Lord. Well, what do I do about this? I'm, <laughs> I've really messed up. Our people have really messed up. What are we going to do about this? And he goes and he seeks out the prophetess Huldah, who's most likely the aunt of the prophet Jeremiah, according to Jeremiah 32.7. So you got a little family thing going on here, which is, I think it's interesting. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 27, this is what she tells him, the prophetess Huldah. She says, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. 
So the Lord sees the way that Josiah responds, and he hears his cries for direction and guidance. And the Lord affirms his genuine repentance and promises Josiah that, the, that his judgment, the Lord's judgment, wouldn't come upon Judah until Josiah died. But the Lord's judgment would come. There would be consequence for their pervasive idolatry. There was no way to reverse that at this point. But it could be prolonged by this godly king. And after hearing this personally encouraging, yet collectively disastrous message for the kingdom of Judah, Josiah seeks to lead his people back to the Lord. And he has the book of the law read to all of the people. He gathers them together and he says, look, you all need to hear this. And it's read to them. And he makes a covenant with God to keep the law with all of his heart, soul, and strength directly following Deuteronomy 6, exactly what the people of God are told to do. And then his people, the people of Judah, also join in making the covenant with him. And then Josiah celebrates a Passover meal that also acted as a covenant renewal, the likes of which hadn't been seen since the days of Joshua when they first entered into the promised land. 2 Kings 23, 22 and 23 says, For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel, or during all the days of the kings of Israel, or of the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Now, sadly, King Josiah's reign came to an early end several years later when he was killed in battle fighting the Egyptians. But throughout his reign, the people of God honored their covenant and worshiped Yahweh and heard the call of Jeremiah and the other prophets to repent of their idol worship. And 2 Kings 23, 25 sums up Josiah's reign like this. Before Josiah, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might. There's the Deuteronomy 6 language again. According to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after and we might think that King David was the greatest of all the kings of the people of God, but Scripture makes it pretty clear that at least in terms of seeking the Lord and obeying the Lord and being obedient to his call, Josiah was the greatest of all the kings. This teen titan, this young man who decided to buck the trend of his family and to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And so as we reflect on Josiah's life, I want to draw our attention to several lessons that we can all learn from his story. And I have five lessons for us. And I'm just going to pick the low-hanging fruit here, guys. There's a lot more to Josiah's story, I would encourage you to actually dive in and study it for yourselves in both the Kings and Chronicles account. We're going to just pick some of the low-hanging fruit, and a lot of this stuff, this isn't 
This isn't groundbreaking, but it's critical for us to hear again and to be encouraged and moved to apply these truths to our lives because so often, at least if you're like me, you know it up here, but is it actually affecting down here and changing the way that we pursue our God? So lesson number one is respect the process. Respect the process. Spiritual maturity is a process. It's a process in our own lives, and it's a process in the lives of those around us, in our children, in our neighbors, in our church family. And it's not something that any of us can rush And it's not something that any of us can skip ahead in. It just takes time. Josiah began seeking the Lord at the age of 16. That's when he began seeking the Lord. And Scripture gives us no record of him actually doing anything about that for the next four years until the age of 20 when he starts tearing down the high places. And it wasn't until he was 26, 10 years later, that he found Scripture and repented of his sinful ways and sought to follow the Lord with all of his heart, soul, and strength. Spiritual growth is a process. And we've got to diligently seek the Lord by the grace of God as the Spirit moves us and make our faith our own at every step of the way. Parents, I praise God that you pour the truth of Christ into your children. Don't ever stop doing that. Be an example to them of what a godly man and, or woman looks like. But listen, young people and old people, maybe spiritually young people, It is your responsibility to choose to serve the Lord at every step of the way. It's not enough to just believe it because you've been taught it or do it just because that's what your family does and that's kind of the church culture that you've been grown up with. You need to make your faith yours as you go along, as you engage with the process of growing in the Lord It's critical that all of us seek the Lord for ourselves and submit to Him because of our own choice, our own desire, our own recognition of our need for Him. But the reality is that spiritual growth takes time, and it's going to involve a lot of failure and a lot of heartache. How many of you know that? But the process of maturing spiritually, I promise you, will be the greatest and most fulfilling journey of your life. And every season of our life, it just prepares us for the next season. As we seek the Lord, He is going to introduce new situations and new circumstances to further our spiritual walk precisely when He knows we're ready to take that next step of faith. That's how He works. And oftentimes, He does that through seasons of, of trial, of testing, or of just ongoing waiting. How many of you know what I'm talking about? 
That, and that can be really frustrating and discouraging, right? Let's just be honest about it. But those of us who might be frustrated with where we are spiritually, like Josiah, we need to not look to the future, but we need to engage with the process right where we are, right here, right now, in the moment, not trying to rush things, not trying to skip things, instead seeking to serve and grow right here, right now. Because not until we've learned what the Lord has for us in this season will He begin to transition us to the next season. That's just how He works. Spiritual maturity is a process, and we've got to respect the process in our lives and in the lives of others. Right? We can't just rush other people either. We need to be patient with them as the Lord is patient. Amen? Lesson number two. Ruthlessly remove idols. Ruthlessly remove idols. You all see the picture I picked there. I don't even need to say anything about that. I think we all can probably relate. Recognize that the first thing Josiah did when things began to click for him and he really made his faith in the Lord his own and was able to act upon it was to remove all of the idols from his life and the lives of his people. There's no way that any of us can get serious with God if our heart is divided and following after competing gods. I want to say that again. Make sure we hear it. There is no way that any of us can be serious about our pursuit of God when we're pursuing other things as well, when our heart is going after competing gods. In fact, you'll probably have a hard time even hearing Him at all because your heart and mind will be so consumed by all of the distractions all around. I like that. You know, I might say, well, I, I don't have any idols that I worship. I should hope that you don't have any, like, literal statues or idols that you worship. Um, but I'll tell you how you know if there's any idols that you worship. Just honestly evaluate where you spend your time and your money. That'll tell you where all of your idols are. Where do you spend your time and your money? Scripture says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 21. How much time and money do you spend on your phone or social media or video games or any other electronic distraction? How much time do you spend in relationships or seeking relationship? Boyfriend or girlfriend? Husband or wife or children? How much time do you devote to your job? How much time and money do you devote to hobbies or sports or exercise or food or education? How much, how much time and money do we spend on ourselves? 
and seeking the things that bring us pleasure. Oftentimes, we are our biggest idol. And these are things that in their proper place aren't even necessarily bad things. But when they get out of control, they can consume us and divide our heart away from the Lord. And then there's a whole host of other things that are outright sinful that any of us can get caught up in. And Josiah teaches us that if we're going to be serious about seeking God, we have to remove those things from our lives that distract us from giving all of ourselves to the Lord. At the very least, we need to minimize how much our heart goes after them. Now, I understand you can't just stop working. I get that. But it might mean not taking that promotion at work or it might be giving up some responsibility. It might mean taking a break from that boyfriend or that girlfriend or even dumping them entirely. It might mean taking a good long break from that hobby or activity to regain some balance back in your life. It might be releasing your stranglehold on your kids and letting your life revolve around the Lord instead of them. I trust that whatever it is, and there's a million others, I trust whatever it is that right now the Lord is bringing it right to your mind. That's how the Spirit works. Just honestly listen. Don't deny it. Just let let the Spirit speak. I'm sure as I was writing this this week, I was like, that too, yeah. Yeah, that too. Man, I stink at this thing called faith. And I trust he's doing the same thing to you guys. Just popping them up. Listen to it. Do do, do you hear him? Do you feel it? Is it there? I mean, that's the Lord showing you what idols compete for your devotion to him alone. Respond to his spirit and don't hesitate to remove those things or diminish those things so that you can have balance brought back to your life. So you can hear him more clearly. Remember, the prophets didn't start prophesying until after Josiah began to remove the idols from the land. That is a hugely theologically significant point. As we do that, we will experience his power and his presence in our lives more vividly than ever before. That's what he does. And it's an exciting place to be. Ruthlessly remove the idols in your life. Lesson number three, repent. Humble yourself and repent. It's one thing to seek the Lord and follow his ways and do the things that you should do, but one of the true marks of genuine submission to the Lord is that when you're confronted with your sin, how do you respond? Do you Do you experience true godly sorrow and repent like Josiah did? Remember our teen titan tore his clothes, which was a very cultural way of saying, Lord, I am messed up and in need 
of saving. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. As the Spirit moves in us and convicts us, He will seek to pour humility into our hearts that we can repent and turn to the Lord. And this, what's this repent word? What does it even mean? It's one of those fancy church words like, hey, just repent. What does it mean? What does it mean to repent? It's just a fancy way of saying to first, number one, acknowledge your sin before God. Yeah, I, I did that. I own that. I messed up. I, I'm not perfect. I'm falling short. I've messed up. Acknowledge it. Number two, turn away from it. Turn away from your sin. Number three, receive the forgiveness of the Lord. And number four, go to him, leaving that sin behind. That's what repentance is, right? Acknowledge, turn, receive, run. To Jesus. Every single one of us has fallen short of God's perfect standard. And the only way we can have real forgiveness and hope and life and a future and relationship with, with the God of the universe is to acknowledge that we've messed up and that we need someone to rescue us. And praise God, we have a rescuer. His name is Jesus. That's what he has done. That's what we just celebrated with the Lord's Supper. He took our punishment by dying on a cross for our sin. He took what we deserve so that through submission to him in faith, we can have true life. We can have an unquenchable hope. We can have a lasting peace in the midst of whatever circumstance we find ourselves. And we can experience real love. Not the world's fake love, but real love now and for all eternity. Josiah recognized his need for a Savior and cried out to the Lord, and the Lord forgave him and saved him and used him to do a mighty work in all of Judea. Repent and turn to Christ. He's waiting for all of us with open arms, and he will give us his Spirit that we may overcome our trials and draw closer to him. Amen? Number four, read the word of God. Read the word. Again, low-hanging fruit here, guys, but this is like getting back to the basics. If any of you ever played any sports, you know that at every single level of sport, any good coach will always go back to the basics to remind you of the critical, critical things that we need to do to grow and to continue to mature. Josiah's repentance came after he heard the word of God. That's what scripture says. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, right? Romans 10. Listen, just real straight with you. If you're not reading your Bible regularly, you will not grow spiritually because there will be no repentance and maturation because you're not diving into the word of God. Now I praise God that you're all here and that you're being fed through this. That's a good thing. That's, that is an avenue 
through growth and learning and hearing and reading. But we've got to make that a priority to dive into the Word of God. And I know many of you don't like to read. I get it. Well, just as much as technology can be an idol in your life, so can technology be a good thing to further your walk with God. Amen? I mean, you can literally download a little Bible app right now that will read you the Bible. You don't even need to do it yourself. That's how lazy we've become, right? I mean, you can read the Bible while you're driving somewhere or taking a shower or doing other things in the bathroom, right? You can, you can have it read to you whenever, right? So do it. But don't just read the Bible. Study it and memorize it and meditate upon it and talk about it with other people. Let the word of God sink into your heart so that you can submit to its truth. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, which is the word of God, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Read the word of God, and not just the word of God. As you mature in your faith, you'll see how profitable it is to read the works of other godly saints who've gone before us and who can encourage us with the truth of Scripture and give us new insights So read good books on the Word of God. Read biographies of godly people who did amazing things for the Lord. Study apologetics and theology. Practice spiritual disciplines. Listen to sermons from other godly men and women. Listen, you shouldn't just be listening to us, because if you do, you're going to get kind of the same message over the years. It's, It's just we each have our different soapbox things that come out. Listen to other godly preachers who can give you other truth from Scripture. Not their truth, the Lord's truth, all from the Word of God. Always measure everything you hear against the Word of God. None of us are infallible. Amen? You can say a big amen to that one for me, right? The more you read the Word of God and the more you submit to its truth, the more you will walk in the blessing of the Lord. It's as simple as that. Read the word. Lesson number five, remain in godly community. Remain in the community of Christ. Recognize that Josiah did not do this alone. He had godly men and women around him speaking into his life, fueling his spiritual growth. From Hilkiah the high priest to Jeremiah the prophet to Huldah the prophetess, Josiah, he he relied on the more spiritually mature people around him to help guide him and speak truth to him to help him grow. Seek out discipleship. Find more mature, wiser followers of Jesus from whom you can learn and be poured into. We have got to live in community. Our culture seeks to isolate. That's what our culture does. The whole social networking thing is just a facade of isolation. I know you know this, but I'm just saying it anyway. That is not real community. Join a life group. Find some intimate fellowship where you can actually go deep with brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
there's, there's, no, there's just no excuse not to make the time for a life group or some other expression of more intimate, godly community a priority. There's, there's no excuse for it. And if you believe you absolutely don't have time, I just, I cannot make time for this. Well, I'm just going to be straight with you. I hope that you are honestly evaluating your life in that moment for idolatry. Because right now there's a competing thing. And I get it. I get how hard it is. I get we have jobs and work and we have families and young kids and we have things. I get that. It's still no excuse. Make godly community a priority. Surround yourselves with godly friends who will be good influences in your life. And just as importantly, just like Josiah did, remove those individuals who are bad influences in your life. Don't kill them and burn their bones on an altar. That's a little excessive. Marginalize. Remove. It is your choice that you make whether you're going to be isolated or plug in and serve and be in community. And, and look, I, I know that Christians can be real jerks sometimes. Let's just be honest. We can be, we can be not very inviting, not very kind, not very friendly. We get in our little cliques and our little comfort bubbles and it's like, hi, I know you, but you can't come into my little home here. This is our little group. We can do that. It happens at every church. Push through. Even if you're an introvert, I hear you, it's hard. It, uh, it's, but, but seek it out, right? Ask the Lord to help you to overcome all of those things and meet people who can love you and speak truth into your life right where you are. Remember, this is a process. Remember the life of this teen titan, but more than that, take these lessons to heart. Respect the spiritual process. Ruthlessly remove idols. Repent and turn to Christ. Read the word. Remain in community. And I promise you, if you do these things, there's a promise. You ready? You can take this one to the bank. If you do these things, your life will be full of struggle and hardship. Amen? Isn't that encouraging? And you may even end up like Josiah, dead on the battlefield of the world. Yay! We've got to be realistic about this. The Christian life is hard, but it is good. It is the best thing that you will ever do, not only in this life, but in all of eternity. And I'll make you a second promise. That as you seek the Lord through these ways, the Lord will strengthen you as you go and you will experience joy and peace and hope like never before. And you will be recognized by our God as a good and faithful servant. And you will enjoy his blessing for all of eternity. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.